Welcome to the Used Car News Podcast. Used Car News is your top source for fast and reliable news that car dealers can rely on in the evolving industry. Here are this month's top stories. Vroom ending its used vehicle business. Black Book launches battery-adjusted values. And Car Gurus names the best cars. Plus, special guest Eric Johnson from Hudson Cook Law Firm. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Used Car News Podcast. My name is Jeff Ballant, Managing Editor of Used Car News. And we do have a special guest today. We have Eric Johnson from Hudson Cook, the Maryland-based uh, law firm. If you're involved in the auto industry, then you know and you know his crew there. Usually at every show, usually doing panels and get, keeping us up to date on all that's going on in the appliance end. Also, Eric is editor of Spot Liver newsletter. Now, you can get news from us, but if you want to get in-depth legal stuff with just unbelievable analysis, Spot Delivery is a great publication. So, anyways, welcome, Eric. I appreciate you. Yeah, you bet. And thanks for the plug to Spot Delivery, Jeff. The uh, the check is in the mail, so I'm very much appreciated. <laughs> Excellent. Again, Eric, second time of repeat offender, I should say, with the podcast. He's been <laughs> with us before, and we've always, usually, annually, we'll check in with him to see what's on the horizon of legal stuff. And kind of coincidentally, we were speaking for our trade issue regarding the Federal Trade Commission's CARS rule, the Titanic in the way of, or the iceberg in the way of our Titanic, as uh, Eric would describe it. And first of all, before we get to the news, tell people or tell dealers about the FTC cars rule. And obviously it's a lot to talk about, but if you could kind of thumbnail it, why dealers should be concerned. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, you're right. We could be talking probably the next hour about the cars rule itself and what it requires. I mean, just briefly, you know, the cars rule is a modified version of the FTC's vehicle shopping rule. They changed it a bit from their original proposed rule, but just know that I think the rule would fundamentally change both the sales and the financing process at both franchise and independent dealers around the country. The rule applies to certain dealers, primarily franchise dealers, but also could apply to independent dealers as well. It has about 16 different prohibitive misrepresentations that I think are really redundant when you look at the misrepresentations in line with what is currently prohibited by the feds right now. But it would also require new disclosures. And I think the main issue that it would require would be the requirement for a dealer to quote a vehicle's offering price to a consumer, which is the full price for which a dealer will sell or finance a vehicle to a consumer. But the key here is that that offering price disclosure has to be given in the dealer's first response regarding a specific vehicle. And I think that's particularly problematic when, say, you've got a customer on the lot that's asking about, say, a Ford F-150, and the first response from the salesperson has to be, even though they, they haven't asked maybe necessarily about the price, maybe they're saying, well, you know, tell me about these tires or tell me about the lift kit that right. came with the vehicle. And the first response has to be, well, their offering price is you know, $45,200 for, so it, it just doesn't make much sense to do that. But there's also some other restrictions on having what the FTC calls add-ons or really VPPs, providing those without a, without a true consumer benefit, some pretty lengthy record-keeping requirements. For 24 months, a dealer must keep and maintain certain records, basically demonstrating their compliance with the rule. And the FTC has said 
that they're going to look at those records and their enforcement of the rule. But I think the record keeping requirements go far beyond what current dealers currently keep now. It would also include consumer complaints. And uh, there's some challenges, I think, with that as well. So it's really rather broad. And with a very short window, the original compliance date or effective date was July 30th. So not a lot of time for dealers to change their policies, their processes, get trainings in place, uh, put new disclosures in place. Not a lot of time to come up to compliance with this new rule if that effective date had remained at July 30th. Now, you mentioned the, the acronym VPP. Was that, Did I hear that right? That's right. You'll see the FTC call these things add-ons, uh, but really we're talking about like a voluntary protection product. It's a product that the dealer may offer like a gap or a service contract. It's not required to purchase or finance the vehicle. It's voluntary. It's up to the consumer whether they want to purchase that product or or not. It's not an add-on as the FTC call-free calls that type of product. And one of the things we had talked about before is what's interesting is you talked about they have to give the price right up front, which is really kind of awkward because the whole point, so many people like to go into dealerships and negotiate. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, you wonder what that does to negotiation or how that pushes away a customer. But you also mentioned in this digital age, when there's texting and whatnot, yeah. right. how does it affect that? That's right. I mean, if that, you know, first communication with the consumer is in writing, guess what? I mean, like a text or, you know, Email. social media, like a Facebook or other, you know, website, you know, like a chat box, you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. a lot of dealers now will have the, the ability to chat with them on their website. Well, that first response, that first communication to the consumer, if they ask about a specific vehicle or maybe a specific vehicle's plural, has to be the offering price for that vehicle or vehicles. That's just incredible. It just seems like, and some of this, from what I've seen, it just seems kind of redundant in that there are a lot of these things they're talking about that are already dealers have to do because of other requirements, mm-hmm. if, if I'm if I'm right. I think so. I mean, I think in many cases, what the rule represents is some of the things that dealers were doing as a best practice anyway. But I, I will say that the rule goes far beyond even what some of the best dealers are doing, certainly in terms of like the offering price disclosure, probably the record keeping requirements as well. It goes even far beyond what even I'd say any dealer might do now as a best practice. And just as a follow-up, and I apologize, I didn't kind of prep me for this because it just came up. You say it's mostly dealing for franchise dealers, but could apply to used dealers. Is there is there something that can give me a warning that it might apply to me if I'm a used car dealer? Yeah. So I think the key is you have to look at the definition of motor vehicle dealer in the rule and the Rule applies to, I guess at the onset, if you're a dealer and you are excluded from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's jurisdiction under, you know, Dodd-Frank 1029, uh, then then this rule is looking at you. So, So that means that the dealer must be predominantly engaged in both the sale and the servicing of what they call covered motor vehicles or the leasing and servicing of covered motor vehicles, or both. So that picks up and certainly captures franchise new car dealers because guess what? They sell and they service motor vehicles. But it can also include used dealers or independent car dealers, but only if they are not only selling vehicles, but also servicing vehicles as well. So they have to have 
both components, sale and service or lease and service. That's helpful. That's, that, that explains it. That's really good. Now, again, we were talking about the deadline was going to be when they start to, I guess, for it required to comply would be the end of July. Now, between that part and currently, I see that the uh, National Automobile Dealers Association, that NADA, and the Texas Auto Dealers Association filed suit. Um, yep. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's where it gets, I guess that's where our story starts getting really interesting is you're right. NADA and, and TA did file a, well, it, it's really more of a petition for review. This January 4th, the day that the that final rule was published in the Federal Register, NADA and TADA filed a petition for review of that final rule. And when you look at the United States Code and the rules that basically govern the promulgation of rules by federal agencies like the Federal Trade Commission, there is a procedure in that rule that says basically that once a rule is promulgated, that a party can file a petition with the Court of Appeals to have the Court of Appeals review that rule. It basically would be a judicial review of the rule and then the court could either hold that rule unlawful or set aside the rule or maybe modify the rule. So in addition to that petition for review, they also also filed a motion for stay of that rule and to have the court expedite their review or consideration so that they could get the basically that effective date of the rule stayed pending the outcome or resolution of, of this lawsuit. And what was the result of that request for a stay? Well, the court has yet to act on that. And, and, and in fact, on the heels of that motion for stay, um, I think it was the same day as the, the, the commission had an open meeting on January 18th, where they talked briefly. They had staff presenting and talking about the CARS rule and did a little, little presentation about the rule. That same day, the FTC on its own volition filed a order postponing the effective date of the rule pending that judicial review. So the, the FTC on its own motion said that, well, we're going to stay the effective date pending the results of that petition for review. And it's interesting because in their, their order, they said that they didn't think that the stay of the effective date would really postpone that rule being implemented by more than a few months, if at all. So I think at least in their eyes, they didn't think that the effective date would be really pushed back that far at all, if at all. If it had been granted or? Well, um, it sounds like they were pretty confident that the court would look at the petition for review, even on an expedited basis. And I think in their eyes, find that the FTC had issued the rule according to their their rules. Um, okay. and, and basically not find the rule unlawful and not have that rule set aside. And so that it would either proceed and have the effective date of July or maybe a month or two thereafter. Now, that's interesting. So why did the FTC go ahead and postpone it anyways? That is the question. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, it's so interesting because if the FTC was so confident that they, you know, that they followed their own procedure, that the rule was not arbitrary or capricious. Why did they own, why did they on their own volition 
file an order postponing the effective date of the rule. Um, Interesting. They, they do say that, you know, they can do so whenever it's in the public interest and that justice so requires that they can postpone it. But uh, I find it very interesting that on the date that they had the open commission, where they're talking about all the benefits of the of the rule and how it's going to help consumers and, you know, do all this, you know, all these good things. And there was no mention of an order postponing the effective date at all. And the next scene you see is they filed this order uh, on their own. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So now, and this I'm sure is probably a question you probably can't know the answer to. Is there a typical time frame in which, uh, say, the district court or a court would rule on something like this? In the, uh, I guess that was the motion for stay, the petitioners who are the NADA and TADA, they had originally asked the court to rule on their motion for stay by, I think it was, uh, looking here quickly now, I want to say it was, uh, yeah, by March 31st. But, you know, right now, that motion for stay is really moot. Right. Because the FTC went ahead and stayed the effective date. And I think they said that once the merits of that petition were uh, for review were resolved, then they would publish a new notice establishing a new effective date. So as it stands right now, the rule has stayed pending the party's briefing and what the court may find on that petition for review. Is this something that takes normally takes a lot of time or is this something that a court can settle quickly or determine quickly, I should say? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the particular court's docket and how, mm-hmm. you know, how quickly they can act on it, what their current caseload looks like. I mean, you know, the petition for review and that process, the, the court's going to have to read through the evidence that's before them and, and make a determination. And that, that could take some time. Even after they have a um, come up with a their decision, their order, I mean, there could be additional actions like, you know, motion for reconsideration, ah. that the losing party may petition the court and say, well, are you sure? Are you really, yeah. um, you know, are you really sure in your order or do you want to reconsider what you said before? That could give the, the, the court additional time to kind of bolster their their position or the you know the parties could could appeal their the court's decision on up to the US Supreme Court and that could take wow. some time too. So wow. I don't know that we'll have a quick resolution because the wheels of justice tend to, to turn slowly. So it remains to be seen. Well that's good for two reasons. One in the hope that and I doubt they'll scrap it, but one in the hope that this will not be as bad as it looks right now. Or again, maybe they scrap it, maybe they get overruled. The second thing would be just for time. I mean, what advice would you guys, I know you guys have maybe dealers you advise, you give offer advice. I mean, is this a situation where you're going to say to dealers, pretend it's going to go into effect or, or what do you say? Yeah, that that's what we've been advising our, our dealer clients is, you know, we think that they're going to need every day possible to try to come in compliance with this, this new rule and to really kind of act as if that rule would be affected by that original effective date. And part of the reason I think we say that is, I think it was January 4th as well, that the FTC in the state of Connecticut filed a complaint against a Nissan dealership in Connecticut. Um, And not only did they sue the dealership, but they sued the principal and the owner. They sued, I think, the general managers, F&I manager, and then I think a sales manager as well for 
for all these alleged bad acts that are named in that petition, many of which I think if you were to look at it, you could say, well, wouldn't those be covered by this new CARS rule? And I, and I think they would. So really, I don't think dealers can really wait to try to comply because the FTC isn't, isn't waiting. The states like Connecticut and probably others are not waiting to allege that these dealers are committing UDAPs, either federal or, or a state UDAP, and they're out there enforcing these types of uh, restrictions against dealers. That's incredible. Yeah, this is one we, because we usually will, we'll always report on FTC rulings or things like that, actions they take. And was this the one that you guys, that we had talked about that you guys had covered? Yeah, probably so. I think we yeah. may have talked about it before because that was what I could at least point to and say, well, you know, no matter what happens in this litigation, look at, don't just look what they say, look what they're doing. And yeah, that's what the FTC is doing. It has been doing for some time now. I mean, they've they've gone after a lot of dealerships over the last couple of years. And sure they have, yeah. You know, they've got enough existing laws in the books now for unfair and deceptive acts and practices. I guess the difference being this rule, this CARS rule, would give the FTC the ability to assess a $51,744 penalty per violation if that rule goes into effect. Now, Right now, the FTC can't do that under their existing rules. They can really just get an order, you know, stopping somebody from engaging in that type of conduct. And if, and if they violate the FTC's order, then they can get penalties. But that's another reason they, I think they want this CARS rule and, and the their UDAP fees rule that they proposed is so they can get that over $51,000 penalty per violation. Just $51,000 penalty per, per violation. Holy yeah. smokes. Yep. That's crazy. So, oh yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So let me ask you then, so what are the advice you give to dealers? And I know that, you know, NIADA groups are already working on things to help dealers deal with this. What type of recommendations are you giving? Yeah, so I think the best advice now is to, for a dealer really to get up to speed on what the rule requires or restricts. So first thing is dealer really needs to sit down Maybe you don't read the whole statement of basis and purposes. Maybe you put that to the side. You have it handy, but certainly, if nothing else, read the rule. Know what the rules are, what they require, what it restricts. And then I think from there, kind of like what we're doing internally, we have a, a working group at our firm where we're sitting down every week. We're going over the rule it's like a blooming onion, you know, from Chili's where you, you, you've got the onion, you're just peeling it back with these different layers. We find new things every time we we look at it. But oh gosh. We're sitting, yeah. But we're sitting down analyzing the rule and we're, we've created an action chart where we're picking apart each component of the rule and saying, all right, well, what action should a dealer take under this provision? What about a you know, finance company or bank that's buying paper from that dealer, or maybe a vendor that's supplying some of these VPPs to a dealership, what do they need to do in light of this this rule's particular provision? That's the first thing that we're doing, or our dealer, I think, could do as well as, you know, really just sit down and read the rule and see what it requires or restricts. Okay, um, that's great. And then just, I, again, I know, uh, I, do you know of NIDA or any of these groups that are already prepping like webinars and things like that to address it? Yeah, um, I know that we had our, what we call a compliance coffee break. Gene Noonan and Patty Covington and, and I had one on, I think, Tuesday of this week. 
So we had our own internal firm. Well, internal, but external to, to anybody that wanted to join. So we had a webinar on it. I know that uh, NIADA is planning us to, to speak to their members on February 23rd. So it'll be me, Noonan, and Patty again. And, and it, folks, that, that's a regular mastermind group right there, those three. That's excellent. No, well, I tell you, Patty and Gene just have so much just knowledge and experience on this. And of course, Gene, you know, used to to be with the FTC. So she has a lot of the understandings of the inner workings, particularly of the, the FTC rules and how they operate and all that. So but we're looking forward to that. I think I think that'll give us another you know, a few weeks to dive even further into these into these rules and the requirements. So we'll have even better understanding, I think, by the end of February to talk to the dealers about that. So you said this February 23rd, and we would look through you guys or NIDA to get information. We'll definitely put something in our publication website as well. Yeah. Yeah. It should be promoted, I think, by the uh, by the association itself. Awesome. Awesome. No, that is great. That's a huge one there. So that's excellent. Anything else that, um, again, this has been a great discussion. And again, you and I have talked about this more than once and put the blooming onion. Boy, that's, that's like you, you laugh to keep from crying hearing that. Anything else you want to add? I, I think you have, but if there's anything last thoughts you want to have for our uh, listeners? I would just say, you know, in addition to reading the rule, I was thinking what else a dealer could do or finance company or bank or vendor. The FTC has posted to their website a dealer's guide that includes FAQs about the rule. I'd read that as well. I didn't find it particularly useful or helpful. And I think there's some statements in there that I would question the veracity of. But I think that's that's another good possible resource for a dealer to read. And I know that you know some of the associations will also have some guidance for their members as well. So be on the lookout for that in the coming months as well. So just dealer, just read as much as, as you can and get up to speed on this thing and stay, keep your ear to the, to the grindstone, as they say, about mm-hmm. what's going on with this, because it, it really matters. I mean, it's really going to change things quite substantially for dealers. And um, it's a very serious rule that, that folks need to pay attention to. That's great. So listen, we'll definitely follow up with our uh, uh, our readers and listeners on the, on the February 23rd meeting. We'll definitely be sitting in on that. And uh, again, continue to folks to you know, check out Hudson Cook and, and Spot Delivery. And we'll also be talking with you again as this goes forward and as we learn uh, more things and as hopefully it doesn't go into effect, but if we do end up having an effective date, then we can follow up with you again if that's okay, Eric. Yep, you bet. Always glad to talk to you, Jeff. Appreciate All right, it. God bless. Thank you. And, and thanks again for uh, Eric Johnson and Hudson Cook joining us on the Used Car News Podcast. Thanks. Vroom, the e-commerce platform for used vehicles, is shifting gears. Discontinuing its online operations and used vehicle dealership, Vroom aims to preserve liquidity and maximize stakeholder value. Focused on its remaining businesses, Vroom will maintain United Auto Credit Corporation, or UACC, an auto finance company, and Car Story, an AI-powered analytics provider for automotive retail. As part of the value maximization plan, Vroom will suspend Vroom.com transactions, sell current inventory through wholesale channels, and execute a reduction in force. Despite challenges, CEO Thomas Short expresses gratitude to Vroommates, customers, partners, and supporters.
Black Book revolutionizes the used electric vehicle market with battery-adjusted values, a groundbreaking feature integrating battery condition data from Recurrent, the EV analytics authority. This industry-first advancement considers battery health a crucial factor absent in traditional metrics. The battery, a pivotal element in EVs, directly influences vehicle range and significantly impacts value. Battery-adjusted values, available soon on Cherry, the mobile and desktop app, and later across BlackBook's portfolio, promise more precise and transparent valuations, reflecting the evolving landscape of electric vehicle technology. Honda Accord triumphs in the CarGurus 2024 Best Used Car Awards. Extensive data, consumer trends, and test drives led expert reviewers to recognize the Accord as the best family car. As new car prices remain high, CarGurus deputy editor Matt Smith highlights the importance of considering used cars as a cost-effective alternative. The Best Used Car Awards, now in its sixth year, aid consumers in confidently finding their ideal car match this winter amid the challenges of higher interest rates and elevated new car prices. Thanks for listening to the Used Car News Podcast. Each month, we'll bring you fast and reliable news that car dealers can rely on for this evolving industry. This podcast is a production of the BG Ad Group. Make sure to share us on social media and like and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Want to save up to 80% on steep new tire prices? Premium used tires, like used cars, are a safe and affordable option when purchased from reputable sellers like Champ Tires. With more than 40,000 tires in stock, all you need to do is go to champtires.com to find the exact size, brand, and model, and tread depth you need. Every tire is inspected and air tested, and shipping is free. This savings tip works when you need to replace one, two, or even all four tires. Shop at champtires.com today.